Welcome to Word Birds, where you'll hear content conversations directly from the flock. Join Christopher Willis in conversation with content experts and thought leaders as they chat about how to make the most out of your words in business. Here's your host, Chris. Hi, and welcome to Word Birds, a birds of a feather conversation between people who care about content. Today on the show, we're talking to Jackie Wolf. Jackie's learning and development content developer at Medics. Medics provides workforce solutions to clients, creates opportunities for talent in healthcare, life sciences, engineering, and technology. In this episode, we'll be talking about how developing great content is about more than just creation. It's also about the support of content's consumption and how being a great learning content developer is predicated on the creator's selfless gift of betterment for the user. So sit back and let's get some insight from the flock. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the show. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm a learning and development professional based out of the Chicago suburbs. I currently work for a medical staffing company that works nationally across the United States, always working to make sure that they have the content they need from a learning and development perspective. I also got certification from Associate Talent Development Professional. I've learned a lot in the past year or so in order to get that certification and further help my teammates. So tell me a little bit about the type of content you create in your job. Yeah, absolutely. Within our learning development program, we primarily have four different programs that support the different functions of our business. We are a recruiting firm. As I mentioned, we have an overall onboarding program that our employees, they have a four-week program that they come in for. And we worked really hard to develop that in order to make it a really interactive program for our new hires. And then we have three different professional development programs. And those range everywhere from the sales sector to then into professional recruiting and beyond. So we're making sure that those programs are always up to date with not only the processes that we have in-house, but also keeping up with the staffing world in general. So I work to make sure that all the content for those programs is, again, up to date. Along with my teammates, we all kind of work hand in hand on that. But from a content like visual perspective, I work a lot to make sure that is pleasing for the viewer and it makes sense on our part. So it's a lot easier to upkeep as we're making changes. So along with that, we also I create a lot of on-the-job resources. So yes, people can learn a ton in session, but there's definitely information overloaded at certain points in time. We like to provide resources for them on the job so then they can refer back to it. And it's a lot easier for them rather than having to retain an hour's worth of information and then using it, you know, later that day or even the next day where they lose half that information. How do you know when your content is good? We survey the heck out of people. (laughs) We definitely can't make any improvements without the help of our coworkers. And if we're not providing what they need in order to do their jobs successfully, we listen to that all good, bad. Otherwise, we want to make sure that we're providing the best content and information that they need to do their job well. And if we're missing the mark, then we're missing the mark. And we really need to go back and reevaluate and figure out how we can improve it over that. If you extrapolate out from there, your colleagues' ability to be successful in their roles is tied to the creation of your content. So if your content is good, they're going to be successful in hitting their goals. So ties to the success of your company, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. From a challenge standpoint, you create content, you put it out there. Is that enough to get people to A, use it and B, be successful as a result of it? Yes and no. I don't. I definitely think that it takes some intrinsic motivation in order for someone to actually be successful at their job. Just because we put content out there does not necessarily mean that somebody's going to 
review it. We work across 25 different offices for our company. And obviously that means from a virtual perspective, we can't have eyes on eyes and ears on every single person within the company that we work with. And so when it comes to some of our program, we say, hey, X content is mandatory and required in order to finish this program and graduate from it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we know that they're consuming it. They could say, oh yeah, sure. And just click complete, but they haven't actually read it. And in the end, that's only going to hurt them. But we, of course, we try to provide as much as we can as far as different support and content in different varieties as we can. So it's more than just the creation of content that you have to think about. It's the consumption of it. It's the support, the consumption of it. Is it content that will be used, that wants to be used? Will your audience be able to consume it? So you have a lot of things to think about when you create Mm -hmm. content. Yeah, I think it's a big misconception when, for example, creating a training PowerPoint. When I go in, I'm not just saying, okay, what information needs to be over to the learner? I'm thinking about how that information is being consumed by them. I'm thinking of what do they know leading up to this point and how will that affect all the information that they're about to consume in this. So not only that, but we also try to make sure that we create content in an engaging way. So a big push that I've been working on implementing throughout the things that I've created over the past year or so is not just saying, hey, here are these bullets, look at them and hear them speak it at you. But we're really trying to move away from that into a discussion. So we're asking a question that will then lead to a conversation about the topic that we're trying to gear towards. So I think that's helped a lot because it makes the learner feel like they're more involved in their learning and they can really take hold of that opportunity to converse with the subject matter expert and say, hey, this is what I've learned from my experience. And then they can actually have a discussion about it. And I think that just makes it so much more of a more well-rounded experience for them where they're not just sitting there eyes glazed over, listening to someone talk at them for an hour, but they're actually getting to interact with each other with the subject matter and making it that much more memorable as well. Do you, from a consistency standpoint, so you're creating essentially a library of content for learning. How are you managing the consistency across those so that somebody learns a concept and that concept sticks or you use a word and that word sticks as it moves across all of your content? Do you have tools to do that or is that just in Jackie's head. As far as that goes, I think of that from two different perspectives. We definitely have to stay mindful of the lingo within the organization. And especially working with new hires, they're just getting exposed to that. So we always try to make sure that we're keeping our lingo consistent or like acronyms, for example, we'll have a subject matter come on for a training and they'll be going through things and using acronym after acronym that's really either industry specific or specific to our company. And from that perspective, that's great. Like they're going to learn it eventually, but we also need to make sure that those people know it at that point in time. And as they're learning the other content, because otherwise they're saying, what does CRM mean? And then they're focused on that and not what they're continuing to say. When it comes to that, we as an L&D team are really diligent about recognizing that and then really connecting with the people that we work with and all of our stakeholders to make sure that they stay consistent with that as well. So a lot of it is like point in time, especially for our for our programs as a whole, we always have a learning and development on there. So then that way we can make sure we guide the conversation in the correct direction. If a subject matter expert's using acronym after acronym, we're like, hey, so-and-so, thanks so much. 
do you mind just explaining that? Or we'll even just pop it in the chat and say, you know, this acronym means this and it helps clarify it for a lot of people. I think just keeping it top of mind is really how we go about it. And then we also have our learning management system. We try to upkeep a glossary of terms as much as we can. There's obviously tons to keep track of, and there's only three of us on our team. We do our best when it comes to that, but should people have any difficulty with those terms or anything like that, we make sure that it's included in there as well. How much involvement do you have in the final layout of content, the way that it actually appears on the page? Are you just writing words or are you creating the visual approach as well? Is that a cohesive thing or is that done by different groups? Yeah. So primarily from a learning and development perspective, I'd say it's done by me. As the content developer, I've tried to create it as visually as possible. Any PowerPoint that we have within our program, using a lot of visuals and trying to stay away from just being too wordy. And there's nothing worse than having to overload someone's brain with just staring at a whole screen full's worth of words. And it's it's just not conducive to their learning and they're not going to take away as much from that training. So we try to keep it really high level bullets, no, no more than two to three concepts within or no more than one concept per slide and three to five bullets at, at that. And then along with that, we try to pair it with a visual. There's just studies that say pairing visual with the auditory learning is going to help reduce cognitive load and make sure that people are actually retaining the information. I really need you building our sales slide decks because in thousands of tiny words that mm. people are viewing through Zoom or on a projector somewhere in a room, I definitely would love to have one concept per slide. It's tough. I think as you look at the development of this cohesive product, this end piece of educational material that you're going to put in front of somebody, what's the checklist that you're going through to make sure that it's ready for the audience, that the audience is going to successfully be able to consume it? Yeah, great question. I guess when I think of a checklist, I'm making sure that it's visually pleasing because no one's going to want to look at something and retain information that doesn't look good. It's just not how human brain the human brain works. Along with that, just making sure that it's not too wordy. So that's definitely on my checklist every time. I'll usually even put as much information I can on a slide and then pare it down. So I'll make sure that it's included in the slide notes. And then on the screen, it looks a lot more visually pleasing and helps the learner really retain that information a little bit more. We only have so much control over that, but wherever we can help, I always make sure that we can. And then including a visual, usually something that goes along with the color scheme, and then also is easier for the learner to relate to the topic. So they can say, oh yeah, I remember associate this picture with what we were talking about during that slide. So that that makes it a little bit more easy to, to retain for them. So that's I'd say that's my checklist. So looking back, let's put ourselves in December. Merry Christmas. You're looking back at the past year. What is the indicator to you? I mean, you have user feedback, but in addition to user feedback, what is the indicator to you that the things that you've built have had impact, that have been successful for the organization? Yeah, it's really hard to, for example, our sales and recruiters are commission-based roles, and it's difficult to tie it back to their production because there's so many things that go into that. They We work to staff people and people are the most unpredictable thing to work with in general, as we all know. But so we're, we don't really rely on like the recruiter and salespeople's metrics, for example, which is really more so like how we rely on that user satisfaction. We create surveys for pretty much everything and send it out to them and say, hey, what's your satisfaction level? Create a Likert scale for that. And then we really rely when it comes to that on qualitative feedback. 
quantitative, I think is great. It shows numbers and data, but anytime I'm making an improvement to a training or a resource that we've created, I'm mainly relying on the people and our, our coworkers qualitative feedback. So saying, Hey, this was great, but it could use this. Actually, just today, I went through some session feedback for our Q2 programs. And one of them was talking about, Hey, like, I really like this piece of it, but I would have loved to learn more day-to-day responsibilities about this role. Because in that particular session, we were just talking about different roles within the company and where people can go from a development perspective. And I'm like, that's a great idea. We hadn't even thought and thought to include that. Now that's something that we can add to it. So then the next quarter is for Q3. We launched that next week. They're that much more informed about that information. So it really does come down to user satisfaction and just their feedback in general, because it's also, we're creating it for them. I'm not creating all this content for me, right? I'm making sure that it's top of the line for their consumption so that they can be a better employee on their end too. So that's really what it comes down to. Feedback is great and we all like it, but would you agree that probably the negative feedback is what helps to make the product better? Absolutely. I think now, especially, I think people are a little too easy on really anybody. And I I think we thrive on the negative feedback. And honestly, I don't even like saying negative. I prefer constructive feedback because that's truly what it is. We, I say at the beginning of every program that I run, we cannot do this without the feedback from you all. Session over session, we're going to ask for each one, what can we do better? And I want you guys to be honest. So good, bad, ugly. We want to see it all. And that that is truly how you can say, this was great as many times as you want, but that's not going to make anybody better. So it's definitely pivotal that we get feedback that sometimes, you know, it may be the ugly truth if you want to say that, but that's definitely helpful for us. So we try to make sure that we like normalize it as much as possible. So then people are more willing to give that feedback. I think it. I agree. I think it's great that people say nice things and everybody likes to hear that. But progression comes from, I like constructive. I think that's where this starts to come together. To somebody listening to this that's interested in going into this space, what about you as a person makes you successful in this role? What should somebody think about being, feeling, doing to be successful in a learning and development content role? So I would say there's a few things that come to mind. I think one of the things that drew me to the learning and development role in general, and this is even prior to this company, when I first got into my first L&D role was the fact that I got to help people. And something that I've learned through the additional like professional development that I've done from a learning and development perspective is that we're doing this for the learner. And if you don't keep the learner front of mind, the content just will fall flat. I'm constantly thinking like, how is this going to be consumed? Is this going to help whoever's going to be consuming this day in and day out? That's like the biggest thing front of mind. And then I think a huge, I guess there's two others that I think of. One is creativity. So I've always been a pretty creative person. And this is a fun like challenge and twist to my creativity is really figuring out how to get to the best like end result for the learner. Is that going to be through an interactive piece? Is it going to be through something that they can more easily engage with? Is it the complete opposite? And does it need to be content that they just have to read through in order to understand it? How can we help them put it to practice within the session, within the 60 minutes that we have with them? And then finally, I'd say staying super organized. I have notes on every single meeting I have with every single person that I meet with. And It's helped me so much because it helps me create a clear vision of not only what they need and what they want, but then I can tie in with my experience, like what's worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past. If they want X and I know that X hasn't worked in certain settings, I can 
help them understand that with the examples that I've learned and through my own experience. So I think seeing super diligent and organized is really helpful because it helps me ask better questions and also make sure it's a better end result for the people involved. Fantastic. And I guess a great last question would be, where does your inspiration come from? You get up every morning, you're excited to go to work, I'm guessing. Where are you inspired? Yeah, I think not to be repetitive, but what I've already said, I come to work for the people that I work with. I don't make presentations for my own benefit. I make them for the people that I get to work with every day. And I'm really lucky to have the opportunity to work with amazing people from my actual teammates within my L&D team, my boss. And then also we're up to almost 850 people in our company. And I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of them, whether I onboarded them or brought them through our different professional development programs and or even people that help have helped me create those resources. And it's just been a pleasure. And like, again, like from an L&D perspective, I feel like it's a pretty like selfless line of work because... And not to brag about myself, but again, I'm not a recruiter. I'm not a salesperson, but I'm creating content every day that's going to impact them in their roles. And I've always said like throughout college, once I find my job, I want it to be something that I can really help people with. Whatever I'm doing, I want to make an impact. And I feel like that's something I'm able to do every day. It's amazing. That's a great place to be on a day-to-day basis. Jackie, thanks for being on the show today. How would people find you if they have any questions or follow-up? Absolutely. It would definitely be the place. My name on LinkedIn is Jackie Wolf, comma, APTD, which is just my certification. So that might be an easier way to find me. Excellent. Thanks very much again. And thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to join us next time for more insights from people who love words. This podcast was brought to you by Acrolinks. Continue honing your enterprise content by checking out other episodes at acrolinks.com slash wordbirds. If you have questions or comments, feel free to get in touch with Chris and his team by sending a message to word.birds at acrolinks.com. That's all for now. See you next time.